Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Macadamian, where we explore the intersection of technology and healthcare. We've worked with many innovative companies to design and develop digital products that improve people's health. And we want to share all that we can to help people build better products. So let's get to today's episode. So today on our show, we have with us Dr. Roxana Maria Barbu. She's the in-house at, here at Macadamian Cognitive Behavior Scientist. So Dr. Roxana, thank you so much for being with us. Hi, Ali. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And I'm going to go by calling you Roxana as we continue with this interview. Um, and it's an interesting time to have you here because, you know, as you know, both of us are going through working through this pandemic. Um, you know, and let's just start with that. Like, how are you finding the nature of remote work amid this pandemic? It's just like everyone else, you know, I have mixed feelings. Um, but I guess I'll preface that by saying Macadamian did have a very flexible working from home, if you want to, culture before that. So the transition wasn't as harsh as for everyone else. It's just the fact that it's forced now and it's in the context of the pandemic. That's the difference. But we were to some degree accustomed to having that freedom. Um, from a positive perspective, at the beginning, I was really, really excited not to have the commute. I used to teach at Carleton, finish my PhD. I had some commitments at the hospital and academians in Gatineau. So that felt like all of a sudden I got my life back. Um, that's one of the biggest things. And then not so much directly for work, but a big part of what I do is thought leadership and connecting with other UX communities. And COVID did open the door to a global both audience and learning platform. Um, all these events in UK and Australia, I joined like events in, I speak Spanish, I joined events in South America. So it's, it, it's been wonderful to just have that flood of knowledge that normally, uh, because of time differences, because of being in person, um, I would have never had access to. So that part has been wonderful. Um, of course, like, like everyone else, I will admit the not so great parts. There's quite a few, but for me, probably one of the the hardest, not quite at the beginning, but it sneaked by, um, is the work and after work blur, uh, line. I guess it got blurry really quick. Yeah, like when do you shut your computer off, and when do you? Because obviously, you're working from your home, you have access to it all the time. It's, you know, you got to create a boundary for yourself. Are you able to make that boundary or is it still a work in progress? Good question. Um, I'm working on it just like everyone else. The change doesn't happen overnight, but I have to admit the the trainings that I have, the knowledge that I have kind of plays a role into that. For example, I'm fully aware of how powerful um, social connection and social responsibility is. And even some apps out there are starting to take advantage of this piece of, you know, knowledge that connects all humans to some degree. So what I do, I try to make those social commitments, not gatherings, nothing against COVID, but for example, I book walk, walk and talks. So my friend and I would walk together on the phone. Um, we're in different cities anyway, um, but I booked that at, let's say 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. So that's social responsibility as opposed to just promising myself today, I will finish work at 5 p.m. Making that promise to someone else, it helps a lot because I'm 
people in general, not just myself, are less likely to break a promise to someone else than to themselves. That's an interesting point and a great segue to maybe talking a bit about why, you know, you, you're, you know, like I said, you're essentially Macadamian's in-house cognitive behavior scientist and you kind of touched upon human behavior just with that point. What made you want to get into studying cognitive behavior? So I've done two undergrads, one in chemistry and one in modern languages with a specialization in Spanish um, and linguistics. And at the end of it, the reason that I ended up doing both at the same time was because neither one was really fully satisfying my intellectual curiosity and just needs in general. So I love numbers. I like the rigorosity of science, but I also want the connection with people. Being in a lab at 2 a.m. with a light-sensitive experiment just was not cutting it for me. I needed what I do to have an impact on people, not in a journal article, and then do something 20 years later, or you know, maybe in a upgraded monitor screen or something, because I was working with those kinds of compounds. Um, so it was I, I, basically it was coming out of the need of bridging the two. So I just sat down and looked across Canon. I was like, okay, what are interdisciplinary programs that allow me to do both? And cognitive science really spoke to me because what it is in a nutshell is looking at human cognition from more than one lens. So there's more numerical base, I guess, quantity, like computer science, artificial intelligence, but there's also psychology, neuroscience, philosophy, all brought together and those researchers brought together to save, to solve the same problem from all these perspectives. Right, right. So it, it's, it's essentially an intersection of multiple different facets of, of study brought together because, you know, humans are, we're, we're complex beings and you want to be see, able to see things from various lenses. And, you know, talking again about intersection, you recently uh, penned a few articles on the importance of like sort of understanding human behavior, specifically to designing health apps. And there was a quote in your article, which I, which is on our, on our blog on Macadamian and the, and the blog post is titled why digital health apps fail and what you can do about it. So that quote really stuck with me. And the quote was the journey to habit formation is paved with good intentions, but twice as many barriers. So could you tell me what that, what you mean by that? And I think, is that your, is that your puppy? That is my puppy. He's experiencing barriers right now because, um, our neighbors are pulling out the fence so we can't let him in the garden because he would go to the neighbors. Speaking of environmental barriers right there. So he's very sad inside the house. Well, it's it's fine. He can hang out. You let him hang out uh, with us. So it's in regards to that quote. Um, yeah, you know, this journey to habit formation being paved with good intentions, but twice as many barriers. What does that what does that mean? Yeah, so really that kind of just came out spontaneously. I was, as I was reflecting back on my experience post-graduation. So, you know, I thought at that time I had a full-time job, a part-time job teaching. I was doing my thesis and some commitments with not-for-profit. So really there weren't enough hours in the day. And that was my almost, I guess it was my excuse at the time. It's like, there's these things I want to change. I want to drink more water than coffee. I want to be more physically active. I want to read things that are, you know, paper copy books, not just journal articles for my thesis. 
And in my head, I had this ideal vision that the second I graduate and all I have is a full-time job, um, it would be really easy to embrace these changes. And I really quickly found out that it wasn't. So then I started thinking about it, right? So my intention was there. I was really passionate and really had those goals very deeply ingrained into myself. I've been dreaming of it, but it was still hard, right? So then I started looking at the barriers. Like the barrier is not just time. There's barriers, all kinds of barriers external to us, whether it's stress, whether it's financial stability, whether it's having that, I guess, buddy or social connection or component with someone else who can help you get started. All of these external things. And I think the worst part is, it's not just me. I have the knowledge and I still didn't think of it on the spot, right? So we see it in health apps all the time. Like a big one is the pandemic. So we've seen like digital health apps that recommend things like swimming as your way to for you know to manage physical activity or things that are team sports and there hasn't been an adjustment to say hey these are no longer possible here are some alternatives so i think that there's all these barriers that we're not always taking into account and that they sneak by and we share a lot of them. I don't know if they're twice as many, there could be more or less depending on the person and the, the thing they're trying to change. But really in my head, it was the realization that you can be really well intended, but these barriers sneak by. Yeah, you know, the barriers obviously make it even more challenging in regards to developing these these habits in your in, in that article you also cite a study it talks about how it takes you know it it, the, it doesn't take 21 days to change your habits it can take anywhere from 18 to 254 days to change your habits um and for you know for potential like entrepreneurs who might be listening why is this important to consider in developing like a health app i think that's huge right and most people are not aware of that i've done so many polls where the general public and well it wasn't the general public it was the general public within ux communities the answer was 21 days so it's really scary that we're not aware of that full range of how long it can take or how little it can take so if you think of it in the context of a digital health app so if i start to let's say if i want to manage uh my diabetes um if it takes me only 18 days, then that means everything is going great for me. I have that intrinsic motivation. I'm super motivated. I have all the support I need. I have the financial stability to buy the equipment and everything I need that may support me in the process and so on. So maybe even just things like getting wearables, right? To monitor all those things and integrate it with the app and so on. Um, but designing for someone who is in that perfect environment at that time for that particular goal is really different than someone who is experiencing all those barriers. Like maybe they don't have the motivation. You don't need to send me motivational quotes if I'm there and ready, but if it, I'm likely to take I me mean, a year or close to a year, 
then chances are perhaps my motivation is extrinsic, is dictated by the doctor rather than coming from within and I'm definitely determined to do it, right? So even just that starting point, whether someone has intrinsic or extrinsic motivation, whether it's pure from within or forced because you were just recently diagnosed and told you need to change this and that, just something as simple as that and acknowledging for that, most apps don't actually check if you have a motivation and the type of motivation you have. That's a really important point, right? Yeah, because it, how, how are apps ever going to determine how intrinsically, like how much, you know, oomph you have to, to tackle your own challenge in this case, you know, uh, managing diabetes, for example. So yeah, that, that complexity is interesting to look at from a health app perspective. Um, but you, but you also touch upon, you know, in, in this piece, you also talk about more external factors as well, like the environment, you know, the, our physical environment, like our societal environment, these have an effect on our ability to change our behavior too. Definitely. So what we were talking earlier about barriers, like thinking of diabetes again, um, there was this group of women in my building and they were diagnosed with diabetes and their way of managing it was going three or four times a week to the swimming pool in the local community. And they were using apps to monitor um, their blood level, like sugar levels and so on, and to kind of pick, keep track of their physical activity and so on. But what happened when the pandemic began, that was no longer possible. So that's an environmental change that interrupted their main form of activity. And not everyone is intuitively, I guess, familiar with YouTube or all these alternatives to just say, hey, I'm gonna look up YouTube videos and start working out in my living room alone. Like the transition from having that routine in place as a suggested activity that you're already committed to with a group of friends that support you and are experiencing the same thing, to having to find an alternative on your own, it's not an easy transition. And most apps, as far as I can tell, haven't addressed that, you know, like all for so many people, their practical physical activity activities involve people and outside and team sports. And like for me, it was badminton and swimming, you know, so not everyone can come up with an alternative right away. So even just something as simple as we're acknowledging COVID-19 is global, Here's here are some new alternatives that are applicable in today's environment. Yeah, and and that I think segues well into the next question, which is if if I am someone thinking of developing like a health app today, say for example for diabetes checkup, something that measures my blood sugar levels, what what should I consider um, in terms of like or what aspects of human behavior should I should I be considering? I think one of the things that I've really missed when thinking of digital health apps is that people think of that research of knowing your users as a one-time slice in time. But that's not how it works, right? Like one, one part of it is that with any medical condition and just with life in general, our needs are constantly changing. So you want to learn the beginning point but you also want to learn the transitions over time. 
So let's say maybe you want to monitor things like mood. I'm not sure if diabetes is a perfect example, but um, in let's say multiple sclerosis, which I'm more familiar with, uh, at some point in longitudinal studies, you really need to ask both the person and the caregiver or care partner, and you'll see that with each passing session, the discrepancy between the two is higher and higher. So even just these self-monitoring things in apps, there's only this much you can trust them and how much you can trust them can change depending on the symptoms of the medical condition over time. So there's, there's a lot of complexity. So I think really what you, the biggest takeaway I think is having the right team in place that understands everything from human cognition, neuroscience, rewards, gamification, all these things. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot that goes into it then. Um, you know, I just want to bring it back to our habits. Why is it so challenging for us to change our habits? That's a good question. Um, I think it's because of what we were talking earlier with all of these barriers, right? It's not just the barriers, but I think we don't often acknowledge how hard behavior change truly is. So on one hand, there's all these barriers that we talked about. On the other hand, the other layer is the psychology of habit formation in itself is really complex. So if we walk through it, then you have a person, they're trying to, they have the intention of changing a habit. And then it could be that that intention is personal to them or is dictated by a doctor or by some circumstances. Like that already, that starting point makes a difference. If the motivation is not pure to yourself, it's harder. Then once you get into that, you need, like, there's this famous 3R model, remind, routine, reward. So you need some form of reminder, and most of us just use our phones or alarms or things like that. And then if you do follow the reminder, you get into this routine, and occasionally rewards support you to kind of you know, motivate you even further. But that's really, um, I guess that's almost thinking of it in a silo because from, like, everyone can relate to this. Like, you have an alarm. If you've snoozed that alarm at least once, then that's proof that there's a big path from the reminder itself to engaging in the routine. So that's where all those barriers come come in, Right. Yeah, no, in your, in your response, you just kind of touched upon something that was really important, I think, is, is the fact that if, if you intrinsically don't have that motivation, it seems almost as if like these external factors aren't going to be much of a benefit. Exactly. So that's where I was going to touch on, and you put the dot on the eye, is the rewards themselves, right? Um, that's another place where apps really miss the mark because they kind of, lots of apps just have rewards and that's a check mark. But really the psychology of rewards or the neuroscience of rewards is really complex. Uh, like for a simple example, it's not the reward yourself uh, in itself that works, it's the anticipation of the reward. So then as a designer, you have to really think through when those rewards are, how like the spacing of the rewards, the intensity or the 
you know, how big the rewards are relative to the accomplishments so that they don't lose their value, all of these things. And then there's also ties to motivation. Like you said, if it's intrinsic, then the rewards we respond to are different than if we have extrinsic motivation and we need those more so-called like junk motivation because we don't have the other ones, right? So it's just kind of understanding all these um, subtleties and respond, like, what does it mean? How do you respond to them in the app? And it can be as simple as having well-timed place rewards at, of the right magnitude. And so, you know, I kind of want to end with asking you just a question about some advice that you might give. Um, like what advice would you give to entrepreneurs who might be looking to create that next big health app, especially now during this, this pandemic? I think digital health apps can be really, really powerful if done right. So I think the first step is really surrounding yourself with the right team, because just being an expert and not just being, it's really hard to be an expert in data science or machine learning or artificial intelligence, for example. But having that expertise alone doesn't mean you will get a user to use it and engage with it, right? So you want a team that can really support you from the ideation itself, they just coming up with the idea, checking if it resonates with users, if it meets their gaps and challenges and needs and so on, and then really supports you at every step. So there's all these stages right throughout and lots of them are skipped. Um, like we were talking earlier, people look at things at a slice in time but as we were saying, our needs change over time. And apps need to track that and respond to that. So if I were to summarize it in a nutshell, I think I would say um, digital health apps, health apps need to get better at accounting for individualization. Mm -hmm. That's I think that's a great point to end off on. Thank you so much, Roxana, for chatting with me. I really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thank you for having me.